You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Psychedelia. Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon and welcome to In Psychedelia for this 1st of July. We are now officially halfway through the year and geez, it feels like the uh, year has gone by particularly quickly. And apparently it was what, the coldest day in like 25 years a couple of days ago? I didn't, I didn't realise it was that cold, but I suppose, I don't know, they come up with these statistics. And you're like, Ooh. Anyway, my name is Nick. Uh, this is In Psychedelia. We talk about uh, drug issues on this program. Um, if you, uh, if anything that you hear, uh, you want to find out more information about, you can find us on social media. You can find us uh, at 3cr.org.au and finding the In Psychedelia program page. Uh, there is a podcast that's um, a little uh, unupdated lately. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say moving house. I've got a, a six-month-old. Uh, I've got lots of excuses. I can give you lots of excuses, but it doesn't give you a podcast. But 3cr.org.au, follow the links to the program page. Uh, in the studio with me, uh, Ash Blackwell. Welcome back to Australia. Afternoon. Um, yeah, I don't know about coming back to this coldest day business. <laughs> <laughs> was that the day you arrived back? That was like Thursday? It, it might have been. I didn't Thursday? leave the house like for two days when I got back. <laughs> yeah, sensible. And also, uh, Emily Roseman. Emily, Hello. how are you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, yeah, try and stay warm. Um Actually, we've got the, okay. So we've got this new house. I just want to share a quick story with you. You know how like a week and a half ago there was a lot of rain, really suddenly. Um, we found out that our uh, lounge room has like six waterfalls, uh, indoor feature. Not something we're aware of. Like I get the you know aesthetically pleasing, but uh, as far as keeping your um, shit not wet, it's not it's not great, and everything smells like mold. Um, Damn. Ash, you have been away. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was away for only like just under three weeks, but it feels like three months. There was a there was a lot in it. Um, two conferences, a, a trip through Amsterdam um, and, and the Netherlands, a bunch of overnight buses, and um, meeting so many new people that I just can't even keep track of it. Um, you know, I guess while I'm rambling on about my trip, I'll just say a quick thank you to my housemate Belle for um, loaning me some money and for Doncha and Ivan for um, putting me up in Prague, for Dan for putting me up in Warsaw and for uh, my good friend Marla for putting me up in the Netherlands. So got to stay with some good friends while I was cruising around. So you were over in, you had two main things that you were uh, so I had were the, getting involved with. So I had the Global Forum on Nicotine in Warsaw and the Beyond Psychedelics Conference in Prague, which we're going to hear a, a bunch of clips from uh, for today's show. So for the, uh, maybe we'll leave the Nicotine Conference for another time. We'll chat more about that yeah, at another point. Do you want to talk point. about the Netherlands a little bit? Like Let's the, hear about the Netherlands, yeah. Your so experience. Uh, first I, time, I've wanted to first go to the Netherlands. To, uh, as, yeah. as a uh, cannabis enthusiast, I've um, <laughs> every wanted to go to the Netherlands <laughs> since I was a teenager really so it's been a long time coming um finally went there and like it was interesting i was staying in a town called uh utrecht i think it's utrecht Utrecht or something yeah yeah, that's probably the (laughs) more correct (laughs) pronunciation um which is kind of in the middle of the netherlands everything's really close in the netherlands but it's it's, yeah everything's really close in europe (laughs) yeah totally um and so the the first uh quote-unquote coffee house um which is what they you know, refer to the, the cannabis, cannabis yeah. stores as uh, that I went to room. was was in the in the um, in the Netherlands, and um, yeah, I went to a couple of the local ones, and it, it's very different to like how you might perceive it, and also how you might perceive it if you've only been into Amsterdam. It was kind of like a country pub. It's like the people in there knew each other. Um, the 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 uh, products that were available were. Um, uh, you know, my preference is for, for weed that doesn't like get me zonked out on the couch and unable to think and mm. talk. And so, you know, you that's go out what and I do the dishes and mow the lawn or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, I'll just chat to people, you know, in the, the cannabis store without feeling like weird and paranoid. Yeah. Um, so that's what I requested and got a few like nice varieties there. But it was, it was such a low key kind of place. Like it's just a big table in the middle, some cool art on the wall and like free tea. So we just kind of nice. sat there and like had a cup of tea and, you know, I, I sometimes, sampled the, the local varieties. You know, when you like uh, go up like Sydney Road or whatever, and there's just these weird little like clubs for like 
Greek and Italian like old men yep. for some reason. Yeah, and they just like it's essentially the same thing. I mean, some of them have the, the hookers and things bad, like that, but yeah. it's like it's a little social club. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not a bad analogy. It was it was very social. Like in Amsterdam, it was a little bit different. There's there's a lot of tourists in Amsterdam. A lot of oh, um, yeah, surprise, a lot, surprise. Of, a lot of drunk Brits. Uh, it's kind of a bit of the party town because it's yeah. it's very easy as a tourist. Like, and it's very close if you're in Europe, so it's kind oh, of cheap you to drive get there, there, can't you? From yeah, from, from a London. lot of places. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Probably but people would go there for bucks parties and just weekenders. So there was a, yeah. there was a bit of that element that I wasn't so into. Um, the prices were about twice as much in Amsterdam as in Utrecht. Right. Um, and um, you know, as opposed to popular kind of mythology, it's not actually legal there. It's kind of there's a word for it in Dutch, but it's kind of officially tolerated. Yep. Like tolerated would be the way of framing it. So there's no legal supply that the weed just i guess in Comes a legal sense kind of <laughs> appears in the stores so yes. they've got things like moroccan hash which is clearly you know smuggled from morocco through europe to, to end up in the stores kind of system but then people aren't prosecuted for um operating the stores so there's some regulation around it so there's only mm. certain amount that you're allowed to procure yeah um, per individual i think it's about five or six grams so it's not a large amount yeah um and you know they're not but allowed to. But you can go to, get it any time. There's like, no it's advertising. Like, there's no branding. Like I actually tried to get you a yeah. souvenir from one of the shops, and they're like, "Oh, we don't even have a business card." Huh? Like okay. they're not even I allowed to have a business like card. Quite like that. Um, because I, I, I get quite liked that, it too, um, but it was yeah. annoying because I wanted to grab you a souvenir. Yeah. <laughs> Take a picture with yourself. In yeah. Your name, print yeah. it on a so, postcard for me next time. Yeah, the Netherlands was great. I think um, people might think that people get into problems with drugs there because of their permissive attitude, but it's not actually the locals that tend to get. You know, not that they're absent all problems, but it's often the tourists that rock in. And um, about 70% of the, the hospital presentations for, for kind of drug-related things in Amsterdam are uh, Brits. They're those Silly kind Brits. of party Brits. Because they'll go over and I'll just say this as, you know, a bit of advice for anyone that goes there. Just be a bit cautious. Like, you know, even if you're a, a cannabis enthusiast, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be able to roll in and smoke the biggest joint of... Um, you know that the hardcore weed that they have available there. So, yeah. so uh, take us to beyond psychedelics. Now we uh, you're in Prague. Yep. So um, yeah. So um, did you need to go take? Care? Yep. <laughs> Gonna. Yeah, you got a minute and a half. <laughs> okay, I got a, I got a minute and a half. Um, so Prague, the Beyond Psychedelics conference was fantastic. Uh, it's it's I think third year maybe um but it's it's a big international conference so it draws in experts um people that have done research going all the way back to the 60s on psychedelics um one of the interesting things for me about the conference was the way that it tied together the old and the new um, and we don't have that so much on the clips that we're going to play today, but th there was a real element of bringing in the traditional cultures. So the, the shamans, the, the kind of traditional psychedelic practices that existed in, you know, South America and other places. And then tying that to this weird futuristic kind of element. So there were people there that um, uh, I didn't end up hanging out with them until pretty much like the, the kick-ons after the last night. So at the end of the party. And they had um, these neural feedback machines where you could kind of, uh, I guess, visually represent different mind states and um, and kind of explore them and virtual reality as well. Rita can organize tremendous conferences. <laughs> That's one of the big learnings I've had um, year after year after year. So what are you going to do next year? <laughs> Well, I, uh, one of the things I've learned uh, comes from one of the... Sorry, that, that was uh, <laughs> a bit of a miscommunication going. there. Yeah. So um, just introducing what we're going to hear from now. Um, this is one of the, the final panels on the last day, and it was reflections with um, some of the elders of the psychedelic research community. So you've got Rick Doblin, the, the famous kind of head of MAPS that's behind the MDMA research. Um, William Richards, who, um, as you'll hear in the clip, has just been training up therapists for psychedelic therapy um, and also did some of the research, you know, back in the 60s. Um, you've got Amanda Fielding, from, who's behind, like, the Beckley Foundation, a lot of the, the research going on there. And um, 
David Nichols, who actually manufactured a bunch of these substances for the the early research. And um, you're going to hear from them now with some music from Malk, who played on Friday night at the conference. It's 3CR, you're listening to In Psychedelia. Rita can organize tremendous conferences. <laughs> That's one of the big learnings I've had. Um, year after year after year. So what are you going to do next year? <laughs> well, I, uh, one of the things I learned uh, comes from one of the more amazing media articles that just uh, came out a few months ago. It was in the Boston Globe. And it was, uh, the article was entitled, Lucy in the Sky with Doctors. <laughs> um, but the article um, ended and it said that sometimes things that initially seem impossible eventually become inevitable. And so they were talking about that in the terms of cannabis and how cannabis is now looking like it's on the way to legalization. And they were saying that similarly, that may be what's happening with psychedelics. And so I, I believe that that's true and that things that initially seem impossible, um, that's only from when you look at it within your own lifetime. So one of the things that I've um, been so grateful for is to realize how many of the people that have been um, involved with psychedelics that saw the crackdown and the backlash, you know, didn't really live to see the resurgence again. And how many people that work on social justice causes uh, that take multiple, multiple generations don't happen to be lucky enough to be in the generation that actually sees the change. And you think about the early people that worked against slavery or the people that worked to have women voting or, you know, people worked on gay rights that, that were just particularly lucky and the accident of time that you know we're able to see with our own eyes um, the change that's happening and I also learned that um, whether it ever succeeds or not in, in some deep way doesn't really matter that for me what kept me going early on was to think that the effort itself was the satisfaction that I had to disconnect my personal happiness and satisfaction from whatever um, outcomes might come about because that's out of your control. You can't really control, you know, how other people are going to react or how the society reacts. So that the satisfaction has to come from that there's love woven through the universe. I mean, my most spiritual experience, I would say, of my whole life was under the influence of MDMA and um, wondering why I didn't just fly off into the universe in the infinite space and I'm so little and the universe is so big and. I kind of got this sense that um, somehow or other I didn't fly away and that that was, uh, in my mind, I started um, attributing that to gravity and I started feeling like um, that there was this loving force in gravity and I felt like I was cradled in the arms of gravity and it felt as warm and as nurturing as a lover and that this was sort of the universal lover and that there's something um, woven through everything and that um, that's sustained me and ever since that experience which is from 1985 I've never been um, as lonely as I was at times before that and I've learned to be grateful for all of that and I can't tell you how joyful it is just to see each of you here you know there's this feeling uh, I must be dreaming <laughs> About a month ago, I was in uh, Lisbon helping to train a hundred new researchers for a research project with Compass um, with uh, treatment-resistant depression from 10 different European countries. And I thought, you know, am I dreaming? Is, is this really happening, you know? Uh, the, the research is just expanding and expanding and expanding. Uh, uh, Let's patiently, compassionately uh, communicate and share this incredible frontier that we discover ourselves on. And uh, welcome to the club, guys. <laughs> my benefit. And I'd always thought that my mission was to water the desert. And then I realized the desert is the human brain, and my mission is to water 
the desert of the human brain by um, spreading the knowledge of the value of psychedelics, because to me it was an incredible value I found in LSD. And so when prohibition closed in on the magic which the um, era of the 60s brought, um, I realized that one had to be clever in fighting the taboo and um, try to bring, educate those in, in power by bringing an evidence-based, um, scientific evidence-based to their mistaken drug policy. And the only way forward to get to these compounds um, accepted in the world was through the very best science. And now we have, I think, shown through the science that these are incredible compounds which can work at many, many different levels from healing sickness, but also inspiring cognitive enhancement, spirituality, um, new insights. And um, they are indeed the food of the gods, which our ancestors knew so well. And I slowly think that now the tide is changing and we can actually carry out quite major research. And people are happy and beginning to realize what wonderful compounds they are. And I think it's wonderful to be here with all of you. And I think we all realize that it's a, it's a movement which is going to get faster and faster in its um, evolution and spread around the world. And I think it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. I don't think I'm going to wax philosophically because uh, I'm a scientist. But let me. Yeah. Tim Larry once said, You're not a reduction scientist all the time, are you, David? And I said, Nobody's supposed to know that, Tim. Um, I would like you all to understand how privileged you are to be alive in this time and place. I started researching psychedelics in 1969. The Controlled Substances Act was passed in 1970. It was a kiss of death to do research on psychedelics. Somehow I got a grant from the National Institute of Drug Abuse that paid for my salary and my students for 28 or 29 years. And so I became sort of the only person. So if you had, were in a medical school and you wanted to, and there were many students that wanted to hear seminars about psychedelics or hallucinogens, as they were, we were forced to call them, I was the only person that they could get. And I'd go, and the seminar rooms would always be packed. And they'd say, boy, we never had so many people here. So I could see the interest and excitement, but there were all these obstacles. So I was fortunate to hook up with people like, well, Rick Doblin, when he was a, a young, very young, pre-MAPS guy. And he decided he wanted to do make MDMA into a drug. And he checked out how much it would cost, and uh, it was prohibitive. And he, we met at Eslin. He said, could you do it, David? And I said, yeah, I could do that. And so we made him a kilogram of MDMA for $4,000. He tells me that the price for that now is about $400,000. We're still using some of that same MDMA. One of the reagents that you had to use would detonate spontaneously if it was pure. And my technician said, I'm not going to use that. So we spent a long time finding, and it actually made Rick Stossman really angry at us because we didn't deliver what he thought we should. And I said, we're trying to find a way to do it. The method they used to make psilocybin now is basically a variation of a method we developed in my lab. But we made psilocybin for uh, Roland Griffiths for that first study about in normals with it in two, that he published in 2006. And then for most of the studies, I think we made 20 grams, he's used our psilocybin for depression studies and a lot of other things. Now. Why I'm telling you to feel grateful is recently the Food and Drug Administration changed their regulations. When I did that chemistry, you just had to make sure the drug was super pure, 99.9 .9 plus percent. So the MDMA was super pure, it's lasted for years and years. The DMT was pure, the psilocybin was pure. The FDA has changed their regulations now. They say if you want to do any studies in humans, your drug has to be what's called GMP certified, made by good manufacturing pra uh, practices. 
So the 400,000 that Ritz talking about, that's basically what it costs to make pretty much what we made for $4,000. And most of that is paperwork to satisfy these GMP requirements. Had those requirements been in place back then, you wouldn't be here today. It, it was because we were at the right time in the right place, the stars were shining right, and we had the opportunity. And I was devoted to make this happen. And anybody in this field will tell you, I've always helped people, given drugs. I donated MDMA. So my lesson is you need to be devoted, dedicated. You need to have pure intention. And there's a place for everybody. Who would have thought that a synthetic chemist would have been responsible for creating all these things that have opened up the possibilities for the clinical studies? In the beginning, I didn't imagine that. Somebody asked me once, what do you think the future's going to be, Dave? And I said, yeah, someday, when I, probably after I'm dead, you'll have a midlife crisis and you go talk to your physician and he'll say, I'm going to send you down to see this psychedelic shaman or psychiatrist and he'll do a session and you'll get a new perspective. And the woman that I said it to, she says, oh my God, you think you'll be dead? <laughs> I don't think I will be now, but I did then. And I said, you know, it doesn't make any difference. I, I moved it in the direction it needs to go. And so you all may have a place in your own lives where you can make a contribution. It may seem insignificant at this time, but in the long run, if you remain devoted and you believe that these things can really help humanity, we're gonna see a new type of medicine, probably called psychedelic psychiatry or psychedelic medicine, that's gonna revolutionize the way people are treated. So keep the faith, work hard, be honest, and collaborate and help other people get to the same place because we need to do this for the same. You're listening to In Psychedelia on 3CR Radio, 8.55am and streaming digital at 3cr.org.au. You've just been listening to um, uh, David Nichols, Amanda Fielding, um, William Richards and Rick Doblin from the uh, Reflections on Psychedelic Research at the Beyond Psychedelics Conference in Prague. And next up, we're going to hear from Maok with his song, Just in the Surface.
vote for your mic. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Vote for your mic. Love our 3CR Radical Radio T-shirts, and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids, and come in black, white, grey, and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street, or order by phoning 9419-8377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. It's about 27 minutes past 2 o'clock on the program this afternoon and we are hearing a whole bunch of interviews from Prague where the Beyond Psychedelic Conference happened uh, just a week ago, I believe it was. And uh, Ash, you've just returned from yep. just returned from there yeah, with all this yeah. fantastic content. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I got to meet some interesting people that I've wanted to meet for a while. Oh, hang on. I need to digress for a moment. Um, <laughs> I just noticed your T-shirt. Um, Medically Supervised Injecting Centre in Richmond was opened yesterday. Yep. It has now been operating for a day. No idea how things are going, but I think it's best that it be uh, left to do what it's meant to do rather than people going down and, 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 and scrutinising every person that goes in there. I... It's done. Yeah, if you want to know more about it, there is a barbecue happening that the Victoria Street Drug Solutions crew are putting on next. I think it's next Saturday. We'll do a proper announcement at the end of the show. Um, But that's a good opportunity if you want to connect with the people in the community to to talk about how it's being rolled out, any concerns that you have, or if you just want to go down and, you know, thank them for all of their advocacy that they're doing, then that's a good opportunity. And this is is a sensible thing to do, not write bullshit scare campaign flyers and post them in the outer eastern suburbs as if it's got anything to do with... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there's been some pretty bad propaganda rolled out by some of the Liberal members of state parliament. Disgusting politicking. It's it's, It's pathetic. Yeah, they don't know what they're talking about, and it shows. I've heard uh, one of them the other day. You could hear all of her talking lines, and she obviously was like, "I don't really understand this issue." Oh, just use my talking lines. It's like, like you don't even understand this issue, lady, and you're basically just standing against people. Just you, if if it had had happened to you, it would be different because you would understand the gravity of it. But because it hasn't, you think you can play football with it, political football. Yeah, there's also like a bit of fear-mongering. They're kind of really playing it up in that outer southeast region that there's going to be an injecting centre out there. And like nobody's even it's, spoken... No, like, but- not even, not even us, the kind of hardcore there, ad- activists, are really some, saying that. There were some recommendations many years ago that they've hung on to as it's like some kind of conspiracy or we're trying to bring that back. I don't think anybody's trying to do that. The reality is, though, you put them wherever you need them. You deal with the problem. It doesn't matter about anything else. It's, it, it is a useful thing. It will help people. Yeah. Anyway, um, beyond psychedelics. <laughs> Oh, do you oh, want, oh, oh, you want me to intro? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you got? I'm not sure this who's is... on the next clip. Should we just start playing it? Yeah, just play it and I'll back in it. All right, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, so this is from Beyond Psychedelics uh, in Prague. Holding this being in your mind. Repeat the following phrases. I wish you equanimity. I wish you love, care, and nurture. I wish you peace, prosperity, and play. I wish you the presence to see and accept who you are now. The insight to sculpt your ideal self. And the courage to become it. I 
scientific information. Image du Monde Visionnaire was translated into English to be screened even in avant-garde cinemas and in embassies. So thanks to it, Sandoz achieves, achieved great publicity. As the LSD entered into illegality later on, French state censorship subsequently banned the film for the alleged promotion of drugs and other substances, despite the fact that a well-known medical expert, Jean Dillet, who was a leading figure of the psychopharmaceutical revolution, was engaged in the film as the medical professional. The second most prominent artist to discover among the creators associated with Sandoz was Jean Daniel Paulet. Paulet first gained recognition as a director of poetic documentaries, he was also director of comedies and screenwriter. Um, between 1966 and 1974, uh, Paulet directed for Sandoz two films, Le Orla and L'Ordre. The first was a free adaptation of Maupassant's story of the same name. The film was narrated with a simple but effective means telling a story of a man uh, who, in the ocean landscapes, tries to resist an invisible evil. The second film presented in documentary way a topic of a disease that today seems to be archaic and exotic, leprosy. In the film, Paulet showed images of a real institute in which those ill were isolated on a Greek island. The experimental essay that Paulet created in the film questions the boundaries that determined human reasoning about illness and health. And uh, there's at least three categories that are very important to mention. The steroidal bufodienolites, which are derived from cholesterol, uh, derivative of, of tryptamine, including the psychedelic 5-MeO-DMT, and a few peptides. I'm not going to be talking about the peptides because they're mostly there for housekeeping purposes within the skin of the toad, but the other two classes are very important. When uh, the venom of a bufo is injected in a person, that causes death quite quickly. And that has been observed in a, a few publications. Anyway, uh, we have another problem. Well, nature has this thing that uh, evolution is very adaptive to things that kill. And bufo danolides are relatively um, predictable in what they do to cells. So all sorts of organisms that would like to eat the toad across hundreds of thousands or, or, or thousands of years start adopting mutations to disable the sodium potassium pump from being bound to brufodinolites. So we see all these species, so the, the green ones, the, all the green traces there are species that are susceptible to brufodinolites and then all of a sudden they develop a mutation and they turn to purple and the purple ones can relatively happily consume brufodinolites without dying. So you see how they spread and so there's all sorts of lizards, snakes, vipers and other toads and whatnot that can actually start resisting to brufodinolites. You can see that branch down there, that, that green branch there is the Australian one. Since there's no real, there's no bufos indigenous of Australia, eventually the purple branch reverted to green because that mutation kind of makes the sodium potassium pump slightly inefficient. So if there's no venom there, there's no reason for these animals to retain that mutation. So they go back to the original version, but that makes them also susceptible to the venom. And that's why Bufo marinus which we introduced in Australia almost by accident is now wrecking havoc because there's no animals there with an actual uh, resistance to the bufodinolites. What's the actual purpose of all of this? We are using, we are now milking a toad. We now take, uh, how is this benefiting the toad in any shape or form? Now, if we talk about evolution, we took some sort of compromise with other species. With chili pepper, which was a very random plant back in the day, now it's widespread all over the world, ginger, the same. Or cows, we milked them, yeah, sure, it could be a bit weird, but now cows are a prominent species on planet Earth, with a biomass unparalleled by any other animal. Cows are definitely winning. Are we doing this with virus? No. We are basically uh, picking up, groping it, and then we are running it over with our cars. This is, a, this is not particularly polite. 
nor grateful to the species. And even if we can idolize Bruvalvaris as this amazing creature, which is like, oh, this is so beautiful, it looks like, oh, it's like a gateway. This is very unlikely to be the opposite with us because I don't really see many cults popping up out there uh, idolizing mosquitoes or tapeworms. And this is what we are, the Bruvalvaris. And even in the, and there's no such a thing as ethical milking. Because what is ethical milk? You grab the toad, try not to harm it, go there, you look at it, keep some sort of eye contact while groping it, and then you get all the, all the venom out, and then you, you release it back, probably kilometers away from his last memory, now totally devoid of his, of his main mean of defense. In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855am, 3CR Digital, and 3cr.org.au, Ash. And uh, that clip we heard from Melissa Warner, friend of the show, um, she did a whole workshop on meditation, creativity, flow, and psychedelics. And we also heard from friend of the show, Jack Aloka, and he was giving a presentation on the evolution of Bufo Alvarez, the famous toad from uh, Mexico that uh, contains 5-MeO-DMT, a powerful psychedelic. And his talk was interesting. It was on um, the evolution of the frog and from the frog's uh, point of view also. What's it what is that chemical there for? Yeah, like how did it come to evolve within the frog? Like, it probably wasn't. For an evolutionary a... purpose? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and what does the frog think of us going around and plucking it out of its environment and um, I guess in Jack's words, kind of fondling it while we milk it for this... Uh, this venom that, that you know then people smoke so fantastically bizarre <laughs> yeah you know i think that um he gave a good uh, presentation basically saying well why are we even bothering with this toad we can synthesize this chemical there's nothing magical about you know molesting this animal in nature to to get it from the I animal think, uh, this is the weird thing some people would say and i i realize that we are playing after freedom of species and i uh, that that um show takes certain positions on these these issues and I think you don't need to be harming that frog but I also understand that some cultures get into a kind of symbiosis with uh with organisms and although if you look at it objectively it's creepy as hell it's a lot of rituals and traditions that people engage in are sure. weird well I think yeah and I think if you're from Mexico from the traditional culture there and you've incorporated that into your practice then you know okay fine I guess but <laughs> If you're going over there as some rich Westerner paying a bunch of money so that somebody can, you know, mess with this toad, it's like its conservation status is, you know, right now it's not critically endangered. But if people keep going from Silicon Valley and Europe and going on their, you know, quote unquote vision quest or whatever, and um, more and more of these toads get impacted. It's the reality of the impact. That's not a symbio symbiotic relationship no, at all. Absolutely. It's an exploitative one. And that's, uh, I mean, that, that discussion runs deep in the psychedelic community with a lot of people uh, going across to the Amazon, going to parts of South and Central America to have uh, experiences, especially with ayahuasca. Uh, but at what, what expense to the local culture and then what does it actually do? Like, you yeah. can't just go and... It's it's being pulled, ripped out of its context, trying to give to people that have been living under a global system of prohibition. I'm still going to blame prohibition here. I think it's the common denominator in all these things. Um, so, yeah, people go and do this because they're looking for something authentic. And I put that in, in quotation marks because I think the most authentic thing is to realise that this moment that you're just hearing this in right now is the authentic moment. You don't need to be, like, out going like i get why you want to go and travel like why people want to go and go to places but it's not necessary the, the bigger concern for me and this is something that brun highlighted um, no that's exactly the point this is something that brun who's involved with ssdp and a bunch of youth policy groups from mexico highlighted there's a conference happening on bufo alvarez the you know the toad and the toad medicine Later this year, it's six hundred and fifty dollars US in Mexico, and there's no there's no scholarship Why? program for locals to go. So who's so making the a, money for this? What, what is this all about? Um, I, I would have to look into that. I don't want to misstate anything, but you know, it's a big problem that there's like all these people going to fly from Europe to talk about this, you know, quote unquote traditional medicine in Mexico, but the people you know a broad range of people practicing or people elders within that community are locked out 
it's just not that process democratic is it like if you're trying to get a bunch of voices into the mix to hear what's actually going on you you cut people out because of a price because you want to put a prestige on it because you want it to look a certain way whatever it it, it cuts out a lot of important voices because you've got oh you're too poor yeah but if that price isn't subsidizing like poor people or people from the actual region like people that are involved with drug policy or involved with psychedelics in the sort of meso america south american region and they're not able to go because $650 is a lot of money if you're living in rural Mexico or Colombia or, you know. um, That's too much for me. Like, yeah, I couldn't afford that, you know. That's that's like a week's worth of pay. Yeah, so um, (laughs) I I think that um, Jack kind of gave a good neuropharmological scientific kind of counterpoint to to some of those arguments going, well, there's nothing magical about the compounds. We know what they are. We can synthesize them. People can have this experience without needing to bother the toad at all Hmm. the toad might have uh, discovered it evolutionarily but once you've figured that out isolated it we we have the technology people (laughs) that that's the the point of the technology that we can leave things alone sometimes and i know it, it doesn't seem natural but just remember that like what you everything you do is the natural thing everything is a chemical it's all it's a maybe we need to get back into um what was a pre-chemistry thing? Uh, when they used to just mix shit together and they're like, we're going to make gold out of this. Oh, alchemy. Alchemy. We need to get get alchemy back. Uh, we got another clip from Beyond Psychedelics. Um, not sure which uh, this one uh, is. This might be the, the Sandos movies. Have we played that oh, one yes. yet? No, I think this is it. Yeah, Leah Petrikova, a PhD candidate, managed to dig up from Sandos, who was the pharmaceutical company that originally manufactured LSD for all of the research back in the 60s. Um, they also produced some avant-garde films, which was really interesting. They were quite abstract, and here's her talk on that. Now, using psychedelics as a force for good is all about integration. You know, how, what can we learn from these experiences? And the simple tool of conversation with other psychedelic users is for many people a crucial ingredient in that integration phase. Rick Strassman, the legendary DMT researcher, speaks of isolated, disjointed, and poorly integrated psychedelic experiences. So what can we do about that? What we're seeing emerge across the world is meetups of psychedelic users, regularly, perhaps a weekly meeting, These meetings can provide community, education, harm and risk reduction, legitimacy for psychedelics in the eyes of wider society, spaces for open and honest conversation, and also for creative and social projects. And an amazing example of this is in the UK, they're soon launching the Psychedelics for Mental Health campaign to reschedule psilocybin, and that has been organized by the UK Psychedelic Society. So this is probably just the beginning of the grassroots, digitally organised psychedelic communities. They will perhaps even pave the way for reintroducing taking psychedelics in a group context, which is what almost all psychedelic using societies have done until the modern day. San Francisco Psychedelic Society with 4,200 psychonauts, 2,500 visionaries in the Medicine House of Canada, 2,200 members of the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society Um, and in total, just on meetup.com, under the search term psychedelic, there are 103 meetups in 73 cities in 16 countries. Um, Now, I'm not 100% sure about this guy's name, I remember it as Mike, but I'm Look through the program, and it might be um, it might be William, but he was from the Psychedelic Society in the UK. And one of the things that I really took away from the Beyond Psychedelics conference was the important role that psychedelic societies can play. Um, there was a lot of talk about how we integrate these complex psychedelic experiences into our lives, and and the problems that people can have when they fail to integrate. Uh, effectively to understand and contextualize the experience so while all this research is going on that's in a very narrow kind of space so there's a real role to play for psychedelic societies to 
uh, provide education in the community about how people can have a positive experience and to provide things like um, uh, connections to either proper psychotherapists, trained psychotherapists that understand psychedelics and can help people integrate them, or just to provide spaces where people can talk about these complex experiences and kind of have a bit more of a informal community kind of integration circle. And our final clip now from Beyond Psychedelics. We have one of the people that I was excited to meet was the, uh, I think her title is Campaign Coordinator. And this is Natalie Ginsberg from MAPS. It's in Psychedelia on 3CR. 855am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au, 15 to 3. Um, and I guess I'll say one, one other piece that's interesting to consider um, in these greater contexts is when we are speaking about in the broader context of many of these other substances, there are you know, millions of people around the world that are incarcerated um, for these substances and though it is certainly many, many people are still incarcerated for psychedelic plants and, and the fact that people don't have access to this healing is you know, egregious. Um, I think understanding that is, is a helpful piece of, of finding where a psychedelic fit in, into drug policy reform. The government actually ended up giving the medicine back with a special license uh, you know, for this family to, uh, to give this medicine to their son. Uh, and furthermore, have announced a review into cannabis law and the scheduling of cannabis in the UK. And so, you know, none, no evidence has changed, no new scientific information has come to light, but in one incredibly powerful story, you know, with full of emotion. And that's, uh, that ultimately, I think, is how things change, or often was needed to sort of push, push things over the edge. Yes, you need the science and the data, but you also need these stories. Thank you for um, sharing that. It just got me thinking a bit when you were speaking about um, how you know laws change and and society and perception changes. And um, with cannabis in particular in the U.S., it's been really interesting because right now there it's one of the most bipartisan popular issues. You know, over like 90% of Americans support medical cannabis, over 65% support fully legalizing cannabis. And those stuff is absolutely changing. It's still not changing as quickly as you would think. And there really are other systems at play, unfortunately, in, in this process. And you know, with cannabis in particular, um, there are you know, alcohol companies, pharmaceutical companies, many interests. Um, that are not, not wanting to see cannabis reform happen and they support, at least in the US, politicians that are stopping it and, and there are kind of other factors. So I think that's also an important and interesting tricky piece to think about when, when we talk about um, activism and, and stories and, and what, what we're sharing because as you were saying, sometimes you know researchers are so shocked. Well, here's the research. How can you? How's the law? What do you mean the law isn't based on the science? Um, but that's really, unfortunately, rarely the case. We have come. the Temple Step Project there. Uh, musicians from Byron Bay. Oh, musicians from Byron Bay. I just realised I'm touching the wrong fader. I'm fading myself out. As a, uh, never mind. Technical things happen. It's 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au. Uh, in the studio with Nick, Ash and Emily. Uh, we have been talking about Beyond Psychedelics and playing a number of clips from Beyond Psychedelics in Prague recent conference uh it's one of the big psychedelic conferences in the world and check a particularly interesting place because psychedelic research continued there um when it was cut off in um other parts of the world and it has uh, blossomed a very interesting psychedelic culture yeah there's still
still also quite progressive. Um, we didn't hear from him today, but there was uh, the person in charge of um, drug policy in the Czech Republic was one of the speakers there. Um, they also opened uh, UNGAS last year at the United Nations General Assembly right. uh, sort of thing. Or maybe it was CND. It was one of the big international conferences. And, you know, Czech Republic, people talk about Portugal a lot, but the Czech Republic are really on the front foot with um, drug policy as well. Yeah. I I often wonder, I mean, same with um, Portugal, but there is that language difference and maybe just things aren't getting translated as well. And I don't know, why why aren't we hearing as much about it? Maybe we need to do that. Learn Czech. Uh, (laughs) Maybe maybe that's what we need. (laughs) Um, we, I did record quite a few interviews outside of the clips that we heard and we'll play those in coming weeks as well. Yep, yep, well done. Uh, we'll also be doing a uh, nicotine special. Uh, just about out of time, but there are a couple of events coming up. Uh, tomorrow is the Yarra Drug and Health Forum, open to the public, especially if you're somebody that's interested in what's going on in these areas and live in or around uh, the city of Yarra. <coughs> tomorrow, it's from 12.30 at the Richmond Town Hall, uh, it's uh, featuring Greg Chip from Drug Policy Australia uh, talking about uh, the, the organisation, what their aims are. So it's 12.30, uh, Richmond Town Hall. Uh, any Anything else uh, going on? July the 7th is the... Um the Medically Supervised Injecting Centre Community Conversations and Barbecue, and that will be kicking off on Saturday, July 7th, 11am till 2pm at Lenox Street Park in Richmond. Also, a big thank you to uh, everyone that was involved with Support Don't Punish. Support Don't Punish uh, was held on uh, Tuesday, the 26th of June. Uh, it is a, uh, a global um, day of action to, to, to call for policies to support the humanity uh, and, and health uh, of, of people who use drugs rather than incarcerating them. Or like in some countries where uh, the June 26th is also the UN International Day Against Drug Abuse and Illicit Trafficking, some, some countries uh, uh, kill people who have been involved with the drug trade then. So that was, uh, uh, and, and we're saying absolutely no to death penalty. So that was a good day. You can find that online as well. We'll post a link. Querying there is up next. We'll see you next week. This is in Psychedelia. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter, or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear Encyclopedia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.